Shelly, let's face it, texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, this is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. We are here live at Unleash America. Shelly, are you having fun? I am. I am. And did you notice I don't have bloodshot eyes, even though we did some pretty serious partying last night. It was fun. You look energized and ready to go and so does our guest yes host i should say yes we have a co-host of the show who's also one of the vips shall we say would you say he's a vip i think he's just a celebrity everyone wants to be with jason putnam yes i think so we're really pleased to welcome back to the show jason putnam thanks for having me plum.io thank you for having me so, Jason, how's have, the show been for you? It has been good. I don't have bloodshot eyes. I have a bloodshot voice, though, so that could be a problem for this. It's been good. I like Unleash a lot. Uh, it's a different vibe than some of the other traditional shows that you go to. There's some really good positives and negatives, but I spend a lot of my time at these shows doing business development stuff, partnership stuff, but spending a lot of time with folks like you and analysts and friends, so it's been good. Well, I do have to mention that we were invited to one of the most posh restaurants in Vegas as guests of Plum. And you had a lot to celebrate. We did. We've had a great year. Thank you for coming, first of all. Thank uh, you for inviting awesome us. dinner. I don't know, 30 ish folks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The who's who of the industry. Thank you. Caitlin did a really nice speech about the year that we've had. We've closed some really good fundraising, especially in this climate. We've grown 100%. And then, I don't know, four or six weeks ago, we were on the cover of the New York Times business section. So the dinner was mostly to thank everyone who's helped get us here. Can you talk a little bit more about the funding? Can you go more details? I'm happy to go in details. We've taken a very different and measured approach that we all like from an executive perspective that we don't want to go out and raise $100 million and spend that money in a way that's not very Canadian, I'll say. We have raised not a lot of money over 11 years, and this money puts us on a very good path to be top in our industry, but also profitable. So that's good for you know a startup. That's really good. What's been your favorite event? Because you've gone to pretty much all of them. Yeah, and I feel bad for the ones I didn't go to. Our dinner was great because it was intimate and nice, to your point. And we got to have a lot of connections. I like the Tadio event a lot that Joel and Chad did. But I don't think I spent more than like 20 minutes at any event. So it's really hard. But that one's really well done. Oversold by design. It was good to just see a bunch of different people. Yes. Mm. What's been your favorite event, Shelly? Oh, absolutely. The plum dinner. It was so first class. Thank you. The food was fantastic. And they separated Serge and I because it was assigned seating. Not that I didn't want to sit with you, but I had a wonderful opportunity to meet people that I wouldn't otherwise meet. I was pretty excited that I was not sitting next to you. So it was... (laughs) 
You know what? We did Talent Talk last night, which I won't go into details, but it was quite a bit of fun. And mm -hmm. I think we had a lot of fun after, too. We, we sure did. We ended up the night at In-N-Out Burger. And oddly enough, so many people that we knew showed up as well. So there there was probably, I don't know, 25 people <laughs> all at In-N-Out Burger at the same time with M the munchies. Most I deals add. happen in this industry at... A place at two in the morning. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's what I was telling a lot of different vendors. These are the moments that actually make a difference. Like 100% moments. So it's very true. Let's jump into our insights of the show. How about we call it that? So Shelly, what should we start off with? Yeah, I'm going to hand the mic over to Jason. And I just wanted to get a sense from you who impressed you. Was there any speakers? Were there any vendors? Yeah, it, it's a great question. I saw a lot of speakers, not all of them, obviously, because we're doing our stuff. Shows like this, especially post-pandemic, are enlightening because you have new people getting in the space. Some of those people were founded in the pandemic. Then you have legacy folks have been doing this forever. I ran into companies that are new, and that makes me want to lean in and ask them more, and we'll talk about a few of those. But some of the the legacy ones, like Smart Recruiters, I'm a big fan of Smart Recruiters. They did a great job from a sales and marketing perspective. They also did a really good job of just networking, and I love that team. Hire Z did a really good job. Again, Shannon's been in the space a long time, so knows how to do it. And then as I walk through the startup pavilion, there's a bunch of really good startups. And as somebody who's done that my whole life, like go see those places because you mm -hmm. never know what the next one's going to be. There's an interesting company called Rollbot. They're doing an event tonight, which I think yeah. you guys are going to. Really interesting approach in the space. But for me, just seeing people I know and haven't seen in a long time, and I felt like I know most you know, influencers and analysts, but I probably met four or five that I've never met before. So it was awesome. Mm. Now, question over to you, Serge. What who impressed, impressed me the you? most? Yeah. Or who impressed who me Who or what? Yeah. Well, the show itself, the scale of it is impressive. And I do think it's a little bit smaller than HR tech, at least on the vendor side, but there has been a lot more practitioners. Remember in the first morning, myself and Shelly were talking about like, where are the actual buyers? They were all in sessions, right? Yeah. And in the afternoon, yeah. they started coming out and talking to different vendors. They've been getting a lot of traffic. So I guess that impressed me over HR tech and just the engagement of the actual vendors or sponsors to people that could be buying this technology. I got to say, I wasn't as impressed with the vendors in general because I think a lot of them are scaling down. The perfect example, I took a picture of Paradox.ai at HR Tech. Then I took a picture of this boot and they went from a Tiffany store yeah. to a mom's jewelry store down the corner. It might be telling us what's going on in the industry itself. It seems like some are scaling back. But Shelly, what impressed you? The company that we talked to yesterday called Clickboarding. Yeah. I was very impressed because I know it's a weak spot in talent attraction, then recruitment, and then we dropped the ball on pre-boarding and onboarding. And there's so much that can be done to really make that experience of, you know, I just quit my job for you guys. And I don't hear from you for two weeks. And when I do, I get there, you're going to make me sit down and fill out forms. No, they've got a really neat product that fits onto the front end. Anyways, more about that, because we actually did get to interview the CEO who was really impressive. So we'll have more in depth on that. Moving to the next topic, anything, Jason, that you were surprised wasn't here that you were expecting to see more of? 
Unleash is a great show, so I agree with you, Serge. I think the setup is really impressive from a vendor perspective, and I have to look at this through different lenses as somebody who runs marketing yeah. and wants an ROI versus business development versus what's best for the practitioner. Mm-hmm. So I think this event is fantastic for a practitioner because they don't have to walk through the expo. Yes. Right. With my you know CRO hat, that part's not great. We don't have a big presence here. We don't normally do booths and stuff like that. But th- there's got to be a really interesting mix of how you can get practitioners to want to hear about products especially new products. I mean, we've been around 11 years, but there's a bunch of startups here in a way that they don't feel sold to. In some of the conversations I have, a lot of people feel like they're being sold to right now. I think some of this is out of desperation of the vendors, right? I don't know if people's booths are smaller because of funding or they've had a rough year or it's ROI about the show, right? Maybe people like to go bigger at HR tech, but I do think there's an air of desperation that you normally see in the little tiny companies that you're seeing from some of the larger companies because they've got to get an ROI in a show like this Mm. versus it was a nice to have before. I felt like in just hearing conversations, really, really, really salesy. And for somebody, you guys know this, have been in the space a long time, that's not the way to get business in the space. Be trusted, right? Have people respect you. I always say, don't be a dick. And that's usually enough. Speaking of which, can I just point out my biggest pet peeve of this entire show? You know, when you go to the mall and these guys run out of their store and they're waving a sample in your face, there's a booth here. There's two the booths. The guy just tried to accost me. So he's handing me this little package sample. And then he says to me, Oh, you need eye cream. <laughs> I'm like, fuck off. He must not have looked at you. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. I need eye cream. So charming. Thank you. <laughs> I was surprised. I thought, what the heck are you guys doing here? That's also interesting because there was another vendor here who does swag. Yes. Which I thought if I ran a swag company, I would do it. Yeah, I I think eye cream, no, but like a swag (laughs) company, that's awesome. You see all our swag, right? We buy it. If they can do a better job and do it cheaper, we would do it. So what is return on investment? Looking at all these vendors, how do you measure return on investment on one of these uh, types of events? So if this is a go-to-market podcast, it's a different answer. And here's what I mean by that. You have to look at it based on company stage, what you're spending. Whatever we spend on a show, whether we do a booth or not, total expense, T&E, I take half of that and write it off as brand. Okay. That part cannot go into your lead gen budget. And then there's a second thing of, hey, if you paid 100 grand and you got 100 leads, what's that math? And then if you're a transactional company, how long is the return on the investment? And that's for people who struggle with marketing. You have to look at it through that lens. It's a long game. But for somebody like us, even if we got no leads, we had an amazing dinner that 30 people came to. All the analysts will go talk about it. Tons of business development, meeting friends. And that's the stuff that has gotten us deals, not we're going to go scan 100 people at the booth and try to hand out you know koozies or whatever. So let's jump into problems. Going through all the vendors, there's a lot of companies trying to solve the same problem. I'll start with you, Shelly. What mm-hmm. is the most common problem that you've seen that these vendors are trying to fix? A lot about DE&I. And the vendors that I talk to, when you really ask them, so how is it that you're solving DE&I? What I found is a lot of them stumbled. They couldn't really explain what was different and how is it that you're actually doing this to ensure that you're reducing the barrier. If all you're going to talk about is writing a more inclusive job ad, please, there's ChatGPT for that. The other thing, too, is that they don't have the right people. If we're coming up to them, we're identifying ourselves as media, we genuinely want to hear about what they're doing, and they've got somebody there who honestly cannot explain it, or when we start probing further, they freeze. 
which is such a waste. If you're going to spend that much money to be here, you'd better have the right people to talk Mm. to clients. It's happened my whole life in this industry. It happens in a lot of industries. Here's my advice with my executive hat. If you're going to send somebody to a show and you know media is going to be there, make sure your people are media trained. Every executive Mm. at your company should be formally media trained. And then there's got to be some aggregate training you can do for like the sales reps who are going to be there. Or you, you need to say, if those sales reps aren't media trained, don't answer your questions. Go talk to this person. Yeah. If you think of the Devin Group, right, as an example, I'll give them yeah. a plug because I love Gene and that company. Like anytime I go to a company, we bring them in and they formally media train all the executives. I understand a startup just raised, you know, 50 grand and go to do all that. But if you're not formally media trained, don't have the conversation because look what you're doing right now. Your response is going to be negative, not positive. Exactly. Well, I think exactly. my concern is if we don't understand it, being in the industry for 20 years, how are buyers? They're not. Like, what a wasted opportunity. I do a lot of consulting and coaching, not for money, like in this industry. So yeah. you and I talk about this a lot. And every single startup or anybody who's trying to get in this space or even struggling in this space, every one of them has the exact same pipeline. And I'll tell them, let me guess, your pipeline is a whole huge pipeline and nobody's saying yes right? You just have this huge pipeline. And then we start having the conversation of you're talking to the wrong person. They don't actually understand what your product does, which means you're not actually solving a problem that they care about. And a lot of founders will get in and put all the money in sales and no money in marketing. You should do the exact opposite. Because if you can't talk about your product in a way that's solving problems, nobody's going to buy it anyway, no matter how many salespeople you have. Good point. What did you see as maybe overdone or oversolved? Seemed to be a lot of repetition there was a lot, and I'm the same. DNI has been something that everyone's talked about, and to a point that they don't really have a solution. One of the things that I saw quite a bit is talent management platforms without really any understanding what the systems. Okay, you're a talent management platform. How is it different? Is it an ATS? Is it an HRIS? And they can't tell you what it is. We're seeing talent management platforms with no integration capability, really so small in their thinking of what a system could actually do. And they're going into a market that they're going to be competing with ATS that have been around forever and really not stand a chance. So I saw a lot of those AI was something that a lot mm, of companies true. talk about. But one that was interesting is our friends at Rectex with their AI generative, basically yeah. linked into chat GPT to respond to text message was actually brilliant. Like they did it really well. So I they thought did. that was really cool. Yeah. But aside from that, I don't know. There's a mismatch. Like we talked to all the vendors and I'm a little bit disappointed as a practitioner by trade coming in. There's not really one vendor outside of Plum that I'm like, I need to talk to them more. I just didn't see anything that was impressive. Can I go on a tirade for a minute? Yeah, please do. So everything you say is accurate, but it's common in the industry because everyone is trying to solve the wrong problem. Solving DEI is an outcome of solving the right problem. There's two big problems, in my opinion. Post-pandemic, companies, put the vendors aside, don't realize that there's at best an equilibrium between a power of an employer and an employee. And when I grew up and you grew up and you grew up, it was very opposite. The employer said this, you have an LMS system, you're going to take these three courses. Now, post-pandemic, I think first podcast we did, we talked about the supply chain issues. So you have to do it from the bottom up, not the top down. If you think of it from a talent acquisition perspective, you get 100 candidates Almost every tool on that floor is about screening people out because you can't interview 100. And the science says that your efficacy rate is like 40% in a structured interview. So you try to get a whole bunch of people to a structured interview. Who you get to the structured interview is what's broken. So you're going to say, oh, if I'm a CEO of a bank, 
and you look like me and I smoke cigars and drink bourbon and play golf and they went to my same school, that is unintentional bias of that's the university I'm going to screen people from. Yeah. If your name's Jerome and not Jason, you have a six-year disadvantage in your career. And it's all about hard skills, which diminish over time and are significantly less predictive of success on a job. So the two problems are, how do I put the human, either in talent acquisition or talent management, even if they're a leader, how do I put them at the center of their own career journey to write their own path? And as long as the corporation is getting the data, that's all they care about. But traditionally what you've done, either in TA or TM, is go, I want the data, so you need to do this, which nobody wants to do. If you flip that model and say it's going to be such a good user experience and provide so much value in talent acquisition or talent management for the human, they're going to do it, and the employer's going to get the data anyway. So if you start screening everybody in with hard skills, with keywords, all that happens with most technology is I scrape a bag of keywords from a resume, I scrape a bag of keywords from a job description, and I match them. So, Shelly, if you volunteered at a hospital in college or university, I'm going to match you to a nursing job. That's about how predictive it is. Yeah. But it's important because I'm not going to hire a CFO who doesn't know Excel. There's some base level. But the hiring manager or the company is going to say, oh, this person has to have 10 years experience. What if they have nine years and nine months experience, but they're the best hire? They got screened out. And what AI is going to do, it's going to teach people to game the system of matching keywords. So if I see a job description right now, I can go to that job description. I can put it in ChatGPT. I can then tell ChatGPT to write my cover letter and resume. Yeah. And the outcome is I'm either going to be a zero match or a hundred match. So if you start only using that to take your hundred to figure out who you're going to get into a structured interview, there's not going to be, Shelly, you're an 87 and you're an 82. It's going to be you're a hundred and you're a zero. And if you have access to better technology, which we'll start talking about bias all in the DEI thing, yeah. you're going to get an interview and you won't. Or if you don't know how to use ChatGPT or you're not comfortable, you're going to get an interview and that person won't. So it's going to have the opposite effect on DEI that it should have. Interesting perspective. How do we fix that? How do we make sure that doesn't happen? Well, it's a plum plug, but it's why I came to plum. Psychometric data is much more accurate at predicting success on the job, right? And it doesn't mean, oh, I'm good at communication. It's yeah. this drivers and drainers of if you're going to do that thing every day, are you going to high five your spouse at the end of the day? I'm very good at Excel. A few weeks ago, I spent six hours doing a marketing budget in Excel. I was very good at it. When I closed my laptop at the end of the day, I did a shot and walked in the bedroom and closed the door, right? So I wasn't as good of a husband as if I did six hours of innovation. Now, somebody else may love that repetitive task. Same thing every day, every yeah. day. And they're going to love that. Most of our customers put that data first. And you reconfigure the top of the funnel to see that there's a match based on who the human is and what the work needs to be. And maybe that person is a great fit and they do have 10 years experience, but maybe they have eight, maybe they have three, yeah. but the person who has 10 years experience may be a really low match and that person's going to burn out and leave in six months. So it's actually not a plum plug. Solve it however you need to solve it. But unless you put the human at the middle of the journey, not the company, and you match them to something that's incredibly more predictive based on science and not mm -hmm. just a bag of keywords, it's not going to work. I do want to jump into startups. Was mm. there a startup, Shelly, that you're like, boom, these guys are going to go big? There's one I was excited about because I think they're doing something different that I had not seen before. It was a company out of Germany called Talk N Jobs. Okay. So essentially, you have the ability to go on to somebody's applicant tracking system on your phone tap on a job, it will ask you a few questions and you respond to those questions speaking into your phone. It transcribes it, sends it back to the ATS. 
And then the recruiter can take a look at those responses. What they were talking about was there is a very clear demographic that would rather speak into their phone than type out the answer to the screening question. Not that it's a big aha, but at least somebody's trying a different angle to address different demographics that really takes into consider the job seeker experience. And you can still type it in on your phone if you want to answer those questions, but it enables you to just speak into your phone. Is it a real problem? Well, you know, I think if there are technologies out there that can make the job seeker experience a better experience. And there are some people who, for one disability or another, would rather speak into their phone. Fair enough. Fair enough. Was there anything, Jason, that you saw? There's always a joke we talk about. There's a lot of money in the mundane. Everyone wants to sell something super sexy. Yes. If you solve the mundane, that's actually where you will scale. When I look at it through that lens, I look at, I won't do a plug for companies, but hey, there's not a lot of companies who help offboarding and everybody hates offboarding. If you can automate that and use technology, like nobody cares because it's not sexy, but like the company you just talked about, I would prefer to have voice notes, right? That's the way my brain works. We work together. We want to have that conversation of, hey, you want to read it. I want to hear it. Okay, fine. And as a candidate, it may be different. Even outside of DNI, it's, it's just style. I mentioned Rollbot before. I think they're doing something really interesting on the passive candidate side. You know, that's my background from years ago. Almost everything on here is designed for an active candidate. Yes. And there's tons of studies about the impact of bringing passive candidates in. There's a bunch of great vendors here. Nobody's bad. Mm-hmm. But I like Shane. I like Shane, what he's doing, who's the CEO. You guys should have him on. It's a bit of a character. But their product's good. Really good. That's Rollbot, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a couple of companies that we've talked a lot about. So Rectex, I think what they're doing at the price that they're doing it, they're not solving a big problem, but they're doing it really well in the texting side. Our friends at Candidate Hub, I like to call it the Canadian version of Candidate ID. Mm-hmm. Technology is really solid. Founder's a pain in the ass, but aside from that. <laughs> I met him last product. night. He's actually, you did the intro. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. I, giving a hard time. Looking at other startups, how many startups are there anyways? It says that there's around 150, but I, there's not 150 No, I think 150 here, right? vendors in oh, total. There's more than 150 vendors. I don't know. Maybe. No, I don't think really? so. There's a bunch of little startup pavilions and startups not always, you know, those aren't always startups. Yeah. Like Julie Salwash, <laughs> her company's not a startup, but it's like they're not going to go Fair do enough. a big booth. And if you don't know her company, go look it up. What's truth is half those startups that are here will be out of business in the next two years. That's just, I agree. that's just the way it is. And yeah. it's not an indictment on any of them. We've all done that. I've been at many startups. It's just the way it is. Yes. Yeah. How about we look at the perspective now from the practitioner that is coming to this show? If you were a practitioner, how would you prepare, but also how would you approach it? What's the best way to maximize your ROI as a practitioner? Jason, you go ahead. One thing Unleashed did really well is they charge us a lot of money so they don't have to charge the practitioners a lot. As a vendor, I think that's awesome, right? Because you're going to get better people and more people. We have budgets. That's why we do it. I think it depends on who you are within the organization. Very few CHROs go to events like this. They should, right? Because you're leaving a boardroom with this huge boulder of a problem, whatever that problem is. You then break up that boulder and you hand it off to people. VP of TA, VP of TM. They then take their boulder, which seems bigger than your boulder because they don't know how big your boulder, and they then break them up. And the director of assessments or the director of whatever thinks it's a really big boulder. So each of those people come back and say, I have a solution for this little point problem that you have. And they need to invert that and really look at what's the problem you're trying to solve. And if you're the CHRO or CEO, we all got into HR or HR tech because we care about people. That's important. We sell to those people. The CEO or the COO 
has a fiduciary responsibility to make money. And they have a cultural aspect, I know. But your people are your intellectual property. If your turnover is exorbitant, it costs you a lot of money. So you should be going into that, even the CEO at a show like this, and listen to what people are saying so you can solve the actual biggest problem that you have. If I was a CHRO, I would bring my entire team out. Would and then I would divide them into different topics, different boulders, and then bring it all back and, and we'd have a plan. If I'm the everyday practitioner here, a lot of people on the HR side are introverts, so they're not inherently walking around. I think you can get a lot of data talking to the vendors, yes. even if it's bad data. Yeah. You're never worthless. You can always be a bad example, right? So figure out sometimes how not to do it. But I would also prepare for the sessions as much as you can. Yes. And also understand that there's a lot of really fun events and they're paying for you to go that, to that event. So assume you're going to be sold to at that event or don't go to the events. Mm. What's your take, Shelly? Do you know, when I reviewed the sessions, who's speaking and what the topics are, and then you attend and you're kind of disappointed mm. that I didn't get anything rich out of it, right? Really screen where you're going to spend your time. If you're going to be in a session, understand what is a pitch and what is truly there for innovation. I get most out of hearing stories. This is what it was. Here's what we did. Here's how we solved it. And those are the sessions I would spend my time on. What about you, Serge? Yeah, very similar. I think Jason nailed it. It's like you have a plan, you have a strategy, you're trying to figure out what that problem you're trying to solve, who's going to take care of what side of it. But what other learnings can you get? There's problems now within an organization and don't be myopic on that problem. Is what problems are we going to have two to three years from now? And let's start talking and thinking about those problems and finding out what potential vendor or that could help us solve that problem in the future or at least uncover it. And to your point, Asking those questions and getting that data is so critical, especially if the CHRO is not there. You got to go back with a clear guideline of, okay, this is what I learned. This is the insight. You paid me to come here. And this is what the value that I brought from the conference that could help us in the future itself. You got to be really organized. I think the key to these, organize yourself. Make sure that you're hitting all the events that you need to. And I personally think if I'm invited to an event, even as a, as a practitioner that's here, attend. So what? You're going to get sold on a little bit. But they're giving you swag. They're paying for you to go. Exactly. Yeah. I think the issue is everyone's going to leave. And this is a very common problem in the industry on the vendor side and the practitioner side. Nobody talks about outcomes. Yeah. So they go back and go, I have a piece of technology to solve that thing you mentioned. Yes. But nobody says, what well, if we do it, what is the outcome? It's ROI, it's retention, whatever it may be. So they mm -hmm. go in and they always tell how the watch is made and nobody tells what time it is. If you can't get it out in three sentences, like I'm just checked out because I don't have time to do it, right? And I know it's a crappy thing to say, but you may gather all this data. If you can't put that into one slide, you're not communicating in a way that's going to get you a seat at the table to have that conversation as a practitioner. Love it. Can we talk quickly about the startup competition? I, I was so disappointed by the pitches. This is a once-in-a-lifetime shot that you are in front of the biggest names in the industry, and you're not prepared for your pitch. Isn't that crazy? Like it Shelley was, was. It was painful to watch. Painful, it was. Painful. I, I watched several. Okay. I'm looking at it through my lens. And I, at HR Tech, I watch them all, too. Every single person got up there and did a demo or some version of screenshots. Yeah. No one cares how you do it in your product, they care the outcomes of it. So to your point about storytelling, get up and tell a story. Don't even have slides. That's what I would do. I've never done it because I've been at you know companies that aren't at that stage, but nobody cares what your UI or looks like when you're doing it. No one cares. Yeah, 
Yeah. The couple that I saw yesterday, I just felt so badly for them because that is a very prestigious panel. The people that were sitting at that table, there is once in a lifetime. And it just felt like they were trying to repurpose a pitch deck for an investor. I don't know. This goes oh. back to the marketing thing that I was saying. Agony. You guys know Michelle really well. You guys should have her on as a guest of how to market in this industry because it's the storytelling. And if you're repurposing a deck, you didn't plan or prepare enough or you didn't go get help. And the Canadian in you feels very sorry for them. I did. I do not. Really? I do not. Oh, like, my God. It's not like two minutes before they said, hey, you're going to come up and do a pitch in exactly. front of a very, very prestigious panel. There may be butterflies or anxiety or introvert versus extrovert. Then have somebody else do it. Right. It's no different than the media training thing. It's a once in a lifetime shot. It is. You don't have to win, but you better have your shit together. I don't feel bad at all. Actually, it pisses me off when you have an opportunity like that and you don't take advantage of it. How about we jump off Unleash for a little bit? Let's talk about a couple of things that are happening in talent acquisition space, talking to a lot of different vendors and asking them, like, how is the market right now? Are people hiring? Are people firing? What's going on? And the real ones are telling you the truth that, hey, yes, yeah, not as rosy as we want it to be. Of course, you get the story and there's one that told us that business is booming like it's never boomed before and they actually had laid off 80 of their staff the day before. What's your overall gut? I'll start with you, Shelly, as far as is this giving you an indication that we are going into a slowdown when it comes to hiring? If you're asking me in context of the show and the people that I talk to, they are optimistic. You have to be or you shouldn't be here. Here's what I believe is that Q1 was very hard. But what I also know after, let's say, more than 20 years in talent acquisition, it, there's going to be pent up demand. So I'm very optimistic about what's coming on the second half of the year. Because the first half felt like it wasn't as robust as before. But when we looked at the numbers, it's really not that bad. Interesting. I do. What's Jason? your take? I have two different perspectives. Many, many, many vendors chase dollars, and those dollars are in the companies that are growing really fast. Mm. And when bad things happen, those tech companies cut off 20%, right? Or they stop buying things. They represent a very small portion of the overall employment in the U.S. as an example, but they represent 80% of the brand, right? Yeah. So when Meta cuts a bunch of people, it's like, oh, it's a bunch of people. But I am incredibly bullish on the second half of the year. The problem is vendors chase that dollar. And because when things are really good, you don't have to talk to the CHRO, the CEO. You can talk to a director of whatever. And what that director of whatever hears from their CEO, CHRO, CFO is, oh, we're a little worried about things. Now, just because you're a little worried about things or things are changing, most people in HR who buy HR are below the P&L. So they're motivated by risk and fear. And they could save $2. It's very different than if you sell to somebody on top of the P&L who I'll take a risk to get $2 in revenue. We have seen the exact opposite happen. We don't typically target tech companies. It's banking and manufacturing and finance and insurance and healthcare. They're booming, booming. Now, there's always an outlier that's a crappy run company where you're going to get cuts. Yeah. But everyone we talk to, even if they're slightly worried about the recession, a recession, they want to be able, just like the pandemic taught them lessons, they want to be able to keep the people they have. So many vendors have built their product around town acquisition. And that is one thing that's going to ebb and flow. And if you can bridge the two and have a product do talent acquisition and talent management, even, even in a mm. downturn, you're not going to not hire people. And more importantly, you're going to want to keep your best people. So many vendors rode that wave of talent acquisition 
that they're like, oh, it wasn't going to stay forever. Well, everybody knew it wasn't going to stay forever. Now they're like, oh, well, we hired 50 salespeople in a year. We really only need five. Macroeconomic hat, I am very bullish, barring Putin dropping a nuclear bomb somewhere. But outside of that, I think it's going to be good. You think it's going to be good? And I, what about you, Search? I think it's going to be one of the roughest Q3, Q4 that we've seen. And there's a couple of reasons. We're seeing definitely a trend of enterprise, which is 80% of the spend in this industry. They're, they're not hiring. They're not hiring at all. And there might be exceptions. We're seeing hiring freezes at the biggest companies in the world. It's going to be really hard for vendors. And it's going to be hard for those companies that they did overhire and they started laying off. And some companies didn't want to lay off. But now they're not going to have a choice because just the world is slowing down. I really do think Q3, Q4 is going to be very challenging. But I appreciate the optimism. So if I can, like yes. last year, I think a lot of big companies bought new tech. And this year, what think? I'm seeing, well, just let me finish. Okay, okay, okay. Do you see what I have to put up with here, Jason? I, I, do. I do. My God. So I think a lot of companies finally decided to buy tech. So it was quite a boom year for a lot of HR tech companies. Not we saw enough. investment in tech. I've got a bunch of clients that have bought new tech. This first quarter, even leaking into Q2, a lot of companies are now in implementation and it is painful and it is slow Fair and enough. it is absolutely grinding everything to a halt. My sense is that the slowdown is more of the results of such a hot HR tech, people buying HR tech. Now they're putting it in place. Then we've got to train people. That's why I'm such okay. an optimist. Fair uh, enough. I agree with you. And I think there's a second part of that. Like you go buy a big piece of tech, imp implementation's hard. And it's very disruptive on the system. I think so many people were freaking out. They thought they needed technology. Mm. They believed everything they were told. They bought it and half of it didn't work or didn't do what they told them it would do. That's actually a big part of this. I think many companies in our industry, it's going to be a bloodbath the second half of the year for exactly the things we're talking about. But from an economy perspective, it's going to be fine. And if you're a well-respected vendor who solves a real problem and you're selling to the C-suite, which I tell everyone, go as high as you can go, you're going to be fine. And if you were smart in how you spent your money, how you hired, how you raised capital, it'll be fine. You weather the storm. But if you go out and raise $300 million and hire 200 salespeople, you don't want to down round, right? So you just have to find out ways to keep growing. And then somebody comes calling one day, like right now, any type of slowdown, it's going to crush you as a company. That's why we bring you on the show. Amazing insights. This was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Really enjoying Unleash overall. So anyone that's listening, because most of our audience are practitioners. Yep. I think this is one show that I recommend pretty much everyone to attend. You got to do it once. I agree. I agree. Jason? Thanks for having me. For those listeners, we're a Canadian company. So there you go. There you go. So thank you for listening. Jason, always a pleasure. Likewise. Nice seeing you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jason. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.